trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there and welcome to the show. You know, the battle for your mind is a real thing, and I'm not here to tell you what to think, but I am here to invite you to think more clearly and more independently about the world around us. So if you are a longtime wrong thinker or you're just uh, checking it out for the first time, I invite you to come and find courage and camaraderie among your fellow wrong thinkers and above all, to claim your heritage as a free individual. I've got some great sponsors who make this program possible. They include MonticelloCollege.org, the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, and LifesavingFood.com. There's a link in my show notes, which I publish each time I do an episode at TheBrianHydeShow.com. Easy access to each one of these sponsors, even if you just want to drop them a note and let them know, hey, I heard your message. And if the time is right, consider doing business with them. Well, where to begin today? I think we want to start with uh, I think I'm going to I want to start with a, a little take on psychiatry and psychology. And not because I'm an expert in either one of these fields, but it's not uncommon to hear people describe the the current overlapping crises that we are working through and that we're seeing happen around us as being part of a massive psyop being orchestrated by the people in power. And on on the one hand, you have to admit When you get fear into a population, they become a lot easier to manipulate, especially if it's fear of a of an enemy that they cannot see, you know, like a virus. Oh, you can't see this. Only our experts can tell you what's going on. And you have to do exactly as they say, or you will die. Now, I I feel like I'm engaging in a little bit of hyperbole, and yet that's exactly the message that has been broadcast at us. 24-7 for the last 20 months. And I think most people are feeling the strain on their mental health. Look, I'm not proud, I'll tell you. There are times where I have to sit back and really, you know, center myself again and figure, okay, how am I doing today? The strain is, is so real, and it's not just, you know, if it was just a matter of financial strain, which it's becoming for some people, especially those being fired because they're not taking the vaccine, um, you know, that's one kind of stress. But this has cut across so many different layers of our lives. Well, you can go here, but you can't go there. You can work, but you can't. You have to wear this. You have to stand there. You have to travel in this direction down the grocery aisle. Oh, man, it's it's just endless. And, of course, this is to say nothing about the lockdowns and and the, the enforcement that followed. Did I really see police officers arresting people for singing hymns in a church parking lot last year? Absolutely. That was in Idaho, which is actually one of the places where, you know, people still take their freedom somewhat seriously. California, yeah, police were out ticketing people for sitting in their cars watching a sunset. How is this a legitimate use of authority? <laughs> I still can't get over the image of the guy on a paddleboard out there in the Pacific Ocean by himself. 
and here comes the police boat and two police boats. Oh, we're going to get him. And they, sure enough, they arrested him and hauled him, hauled him off to jail. Why? Well, it's for his health and his safety. And this is to say nothing about what's going on in Australia, though we are going to talk about that later. And, and, and by the way, I want to just point out, I do have listeners in Australia and I hear from them occasionally. I've gotten a couple of emails now and, uh, it's very telling when, when they say, please, if you talk about this on the air, do not use my name. That's the system that they are, are under right now. And, and if we think, well, it sucks to be them. No, that's what's coming your direction, too, if you're not careful. So courage to my brothers and my sisters in Australia, my fellow lovers of liberty. I'm sickened by what I see that, uh, that you're having to put up with right now. I don't know how this all shakes out, but uh, no matter how, no matter how isolated or marginalized you may feel, because uh, you know the authorities are telling you this, and everybody's insisting you have to follow this regimen of what we say, you are in the right if you are standing for freedom. I don't care if you're standing alone. You're in the right. God smiles upon those who would stand for truth, especially when it's unpopular. And I'm sorry that there's suffering that goes along with that. But, you know, thanks to those of you who are doing your best to keep the faith in almost impossible conditions. I've got an article here from Robert Freudenthal that talks about how psychiatry is not enough to save us from lockdown harms. In fact, it might actually become a very useful tool for isolating the noncompliant. This was published by the Brownstone Institute. I don't know if you have uh, had the chance to look at their website or to subscribe, but uh, they really put out some very high-quality material, very well-sourced, principled, nonpartisan. This is not like, you know, sitting around getting caught up in an argument over the news cycle. There's actually substance here. Robert Fordenthal says, The mental health consequences of our pandemic response are predictable, with many warning right from the start of the likely psychiatric consequences of the withdrawing of the most of most of the structures of civic society for a period of months on end. He says too often the priorities are framed as a balancing act between physical health consequences from the virus versus mental health consequences from the pandemic response, with little or no attention as to what psychiatric treatments actually consist of. And this has led to a focus on how overwhelmed psychiatric services are, but not on the details of what the psychiatric response actually has been or could be. Now, he points out the psychiatric system doesn't exist as a separate entity to the medical establishment. Rather, it's part and parcel of our healthcare system. Psychiatric services also function alongside and within institutional settings, be they psychiatric hospitals, care homes or prisons, smaller supported accommodation units. And despite an increased awareness of mental illness, he says there remains little understanding of the realities of life on psychiatric wards. Psychiatric services, particularly in inpatient settings, are places where the carceral realities of lockdown or of a lockdown and restriction-based approach are enacted in full force. Therefore, the full the emotional distress, rather, of lockdown can be experienced in its extreme in those settings. And yet they're also looked to as a solution for some of the adverse effects of our pandemic response. He says mental health wards in the psychiatric system are one component 
of the carceral functions of the modern state. And people admitted to mental health wards are subject to significant deprivations of liberty and surveillance. Deprivations of liberty are nearly always enacted along lines of existing inequalities, and mental health wards are no different, with young black men being disproportionately represented among those who are detained on psychiatric wards. Robert Freudenthal says the lockdowns have represented a significant increase in the carceral functions of the state. And the deprivations of liberty that resulted from the lockdowns were enacted in a discriminatory fashion, such that those that already had the least liberty were restricted the hardest. Now, this is to be expected as government-driven deprivations of liberty were always likely to be most strongly enforced in those that the state already had the most control over which includes those that are in state-run institutions like psychiatric hospitals as well as people in other institutions such as prisons, care homes, and immigration detention centers. Now, this escalation of carceral-type policies on mental health wards during the lockdown was significant. We're talking practices like removing leave from the ward or restricting or removing visitors and solitary isolation for new admissions to mental health units. He says, furthermore, mandatory mask wearing and the consequent, uh, the consequent removal of facial expressions made it harder for staff to de-escalate challenging scenarios on the ward, which may have contributed to an upsurge in incidents of aggression, which itself could lead to people being considered to be aggressive and at immediate risk of violence and therefore placed in seclusion. So the reality of an individual in a state of crisis, frightened and anxious, being on a psychiatric ward with masked strangers, unable to have family members visit, acting out from a place of fear and being led into a seclusion room is a stark representation of the brutal realities of how lockdown can be experienced by people who are already stigmatized with little agency or autonomy. Now, i got to hit the brakes here for just a minute because we're coming up on a commercial break, but... This, this makes you question the psychiatric system. Okay, it makes me question the psychiatric system itself. And I'm not just trying to be contrary here. I think it was Charlie Reese years ago who pointed out, you know, um, psychiatry and psychology are quite different from, say, neurology, which studies the physical structures of the brain and nervous system. These are a little more abstract, and they've also been prone to abuse by the state. In fact, For hundreds of years now, psychiatry has kind of been how the state separates the uncomfortable, the dissident, from the rest of society. Well, they're crazy. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to give a really quick shout out here to um, an event coming up Friday night. This will be Friday, October 1st, and this is taking place at uh, Liberty Hall in Ogden, Utah. The Loving Liberty Network is welcoming Alex Newman to speak about We Can Save the Children. He's an award-winning international journalist, educator, author, and consultant. Very worth your time to check this out for my listeners in Utah. Um, if it's if you've got the time, it would be worth it to, to travel to Liberty Hall, beautiful facility, and hear Alex Newman speak. 
You can go to lovingliberty.net if you would like more information. So I'm sharing this article about how psychiatry will not save us from lockdown harm. And it's, it's an interesting study of, you know, what psychiatry can and cannot do and how it's being used during, you know, the lockdown crisis. But I think it's worth pointing out, psychiatry itself has always had kind of an uneasy partnership with the state. And I say uneasy just on the, on the part of the people who've been on the receiving end of that psychiatric care. I mean, we used to use really politically incorrect terms to describe people with mental health issues. Well, put them in the lunatic asylum and, and so forth. But the f- basic role of psychiatry was to take the people out of society who were making those in power uncomfortable, whether it be the mentally ill or just simply the dissident. Dr. Thomas Saz I'm going to try to spell his name correctly because I'm doing this from memory. Um, Thomas Saz, I think it's uh, S-Z-A-S-Z. Anyway, it's a different kind of spelling. He was himself a psychiatrist, and yet he was one of the most outspoken voices against psychiatry because of its tendency to be co-opted by the state. And if you think about the shift that's taken place in our society, once upon a time, if you found yourself in court, maybe you were facing criminal charges. If someone needed to be brought in to testify as to your character or as to the kind of person that you are, how sound of an individual are you? For the longest time, you would have called in a member of the clergy. Your clergy, your pastor, your bishop would have been the one sitting on the stand, hand on the Bible, other hand, raised to God, swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. But nowadays, when someone is evaluated as to their character, as to their mental state, well, we bring in the mental health experts, and so it's likely you would call a psychiatrist or a psychologist to uh, sit and testify as to, well, this is what we know about Mr. Hyde based on our extensive testing and our evaluation of him. That's where our faith has gone. It's gone away from actual faith and more towards, you know, things that, that work hand in hand with the state. And in this article here, again, this is from uh, Robert uh, Freudenthal from the Brownstone Institute. He talks about how the psychiatric system itself is a clear illustration of how medical power asserted itself throughout the lockdown. Monopolizing society is the only acceptable response to emotional distress. And while hospital chaplaincy services were withdrawn, religious institutions stopped doing in-person pastoral visits and other sources of community and support were closed, psychiatrists were able to continue seeing their patients in person, and that included doing home visits. For several months, he says, psychiatry was the only accessible source of support for people in crisis in the community. While simultaneously, those in psychiatric care and institutional settings had to bear the brunt of some of the strictest restrictions enacted across the whole of society. Next, he talks about psychiatric services as a solution to the lockdown mental health crisis. And he reminds us the goal of psychiatric treatment is to support people who have a mental illness to attain health, with health defined as a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. 
Now, there are different models of mental health treatment with the biopsychosocial paradigm being dominant in most psychiatric services. However, they mostly have a shared goal of supporting the person to be more connected with their own reality or to be more co- and to be more connected with the people around them. And that's exceptionally different, difficult to do when you're in a restricted society. Furthermore, most mental health services, at least in the inpatient setting, have a multidisciplinary model of treatment, with part of the treatment consisting of groups, activities, family work, occupational therapy, and supported trials of periods outside of the hospital prior to being discharged. But most of those treatments were removed and group programs suspended during the lockdowns. Now, that placed severe limitations on what mental health treatment could be provided, and it meant psychiatrists and mental health services had to rely more heavily on pharmacology as other treatment options were suspended or restricted. By the way, just as an aside to that, how many people do you know who are taking some kind of pharmaceutical mood elevator or mood regulator? I think the answer could be surprising. We are, we are a nation that's, that's pretty highly medicated. And for those who aren't on some pharmaceutical, you know, mood elevator, there's a lot of people self-medicating through alcohol, through other, you know, illicit substances. Very interesting. And the article here points out that there's clear evidence that antipsychotic prescribing increased for people in dementia during the lockdowns which itself is associated with an increase of mortality and other serious adverse effects, including stroke. Now, thankfully, in most parts of the world, the heavy lockdown restrictions have subsided, and it's now possible for community activities and group programs to restart. But in places where most group and community activities require demonstration of vaccine status, those who are unvaccinated are simply excluded from some of the key aspects of psychiatric treatment. Robert Freudenthal also says psychiatric services function along a medical model, and the institutions of psychiatry are part of the medical establishment. Many have warned against the wisdom of continued restrictions on the grounds of their mental health consequences. However, he says if part of the criticism of lockdowns is that they represent an expansion of medical overreach into the lives of the healthy, well, then some might oppose lockdowns from within a medical framework by citing their negative impacts on mental health as a reason for abandoning lockdowns and restrictions in the future. But it's never going to lead to a satisfactory dismantling of the lockdown infrastructure. Furthermore, he says the solution to distress is caused by closed services, missed education, lost income, poverty, debt, or coercive public health interventions. And he says the solution's not found in psychiatric services, particularly not in psychiatric services whose treatment options have been restricted to pharmacology-only approaches. Here, take this pill. Oh, look, it's a red one. I'll take that. (laughs) Of course, mental health services do provide essential support for many people. However, psychiatric services as part of our wider medical system will not by themselves provide adequate enough solutions to lockdown-related emotional distress. So Robert Freudenthal says to move on from lockdown isolationism and their associated distress, we will need to do more than expand the services and reach of yet another arm of the medical establishment. He says we'll need to look outside of the medical system to help us heal and to safeguard us against returning to a lockdown response to future crises. 
Of course, I'll have a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. You can check this out for yourself. I strongly recommend the Brownstone Institute as a, a great resource for wrong thinkers. These are not partisan-driven people. They're not given to sensationalism in their writing. They're very principled, very well-sourced. I think this is good information. What you do with that information, well, that's up to you. But I put it out there, you know, with a recommendation that if you want a, a really solid take on what's going on, this is a good place to go. Got to take a break. We'll do that. We'll be back in just a few moments. Please visit my show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. And we'll be back in just a minute. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out to my sponsor, lifesavingfood.com. You've heard me talk about some of the... uh, Supply chain breakdowns that we're starting to see emerge. Some of the empty store shelves here and there. By the way, I did go to the grocery store yesterday. And I'm happy to report, I saw almost no empty shelves in the particular store that I went to. But uh, I'm, I'm really concerned about uh, potential food shortages. And just encourage you, if you want to you want to get your food storage program going or just bolster it. And make sure that you've got enough, not just for yourself, but maybe to help family or to help neighbors. This is a great time to do it. There is plenty of stock available. The prices are still reasonable. And here's the best part of all. If you click on the link to lifesavingfood.com, you can check out their website. You can see the starter food kits, the long-term supply, the survival kits. These are great for like 72-hour kits. Grab them and go. And you can save 20% on your order by entering the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout. That's a special perk. It's for my listeners. It's a better deal than you would get if you went to ReadyWise themselves. And they're the, they're the producers of this, this food storage. Good quality stuff. 25-year shelf life. Lots of variety. Gluten-free options. Please check it out for yourself. If you feel inspired to, to make the move and, and make a purchase, use that coupon code HIDE to save yourself 20% on your purchase. Well, I've been watching with, uh, with some great concern the videos and the images coming out of Australia. And it said, there was, a, there was a pretty funny piece on the Babylon Bee, something about Australian hospitals now overwhelmed by people being beaten by the police for not following COVID protocol. And so, yeah, it's not COVID that's overwhelming the hospital. It's, it's the police, you know, cracking down on these people who uh, strayed from their home or were outside without permission from the state. Oh, it's it's scary. You know, the what's happening in Australia is is scary enough for the people who live there, but it, it doesn't bode well for the future of freedom in other places because if it can happen someplace like Australia, which used to be held up as, you know, the example of see, you can take away people's guns and nothing bad ever happens. Hmm. We just had to wait a few years to to see what kind of temptation would present itself to the people in power. Got a great article here from James Bolt. And this was uh, written on spikedonline.com. 
in which he says the writing is on the wall for anyone who has the courage to raise their eyes. And that is what's happening in Australia isn't about learning how to live safely with a particular virus. It's about learning how to live under authoritarian rule. The article's titled, Zero COVID Has Torn Australia Apart. And he says, back in the summer, as the rest of the world was opening up, state after state in Australia started to impose new restrictions to deal with a handful of COVID cases. He says, it turned us into a global laughingstock, but no one is laughing now. Time was when, even in Melbourne, we could chuckle at the absurdity of our COVID rules. We were told we could remove our face masks, still mandatory indoors and outdoors, in order to drink a coffee, but not to drink a beer. We were also told that if we lived with five other adults, we were not all allowed or not allowed to all leave the house in one group. Indoors, we were no risk to each other. Outside, we were apparently a viral Petri dish. But he says laughter has turned into anger. After over 230 days of hard lockdown, whatever was left of Melbourne's social fabric has gone. And the city has been rocked by weeks of protest and violence. On September 17th, the Victorian government announced that it would be mandating vaccinations for the construction industry. Now, it gave construction workers six days to get their first jab or be banned from working. Unsurprisingly, not all construction workers were pleased about this. And they took their anger out on their union the following morning by protesting outside its offices. Now, the union bizarrely claimed that protest was made up of far-right and neo-Nazi agitators. And just as bizarrely, the Victorian government then decided to close the entire construction industry for two weeks. Even the vaccinated were banned from working. Well, the protesters were back in bigger numbers the next day, drawing in people from many other walks of life. And the police took a very hard line. Videos of police brutality have swept the world. An old lady was pushed to the ground and pepper sprayed in the face. A man peacefully talking to police officers at a train station was tackled from behind by another officer, his head smashing into the hard ground. Police have fired rubber bullets at protesters, too. But the violence hasn't only come from the police, though. Another video circulating online shows a single line of police officers standing shoulder to shoulder, attempting to stop an unruly crowd of hundreds. Well, the crowd broke through, and numerous officers were hospitalized following the chaos that day. He says, this is the price of our victory against COVID. Yes, our COVID deaths are low, far lower than the rest of the world, but how much longer can we live like this? Well, Melbournians have been ordered to live like this until 26 October at the earliest. That's when Melbourne's sixth lockdown is scheduled to end, though you'd be lucky to find a single person who actually thinks it'll end on that day. By then, Melbourne will have been locked down for longer than any other city on the planet. Now, James Bolt says, look, we got here by chasing the goal of zero COVID. The successes of 2020 went to our leaders' heads. They believed they could do what no other country has done, that is, eliminate the virus. And this mindset was what drove Melbourne into lockdown on August 5th after recording just eight cases. And it's been in lockdown ever since. Now, there are some signs of hope, however. Victoria State Premier Daniel Andrews has acknowledged the Delta variant is too virulent to be eliminated. He now says Victorians will have to learn to live with COVID. 
Now, James Bolt says Andrew's words are promising, but his actions don't match them. Melbourne is not learning to live with the virus. It's learning to live with authoritarianism. Living with the virus means being allowed to gather in groups, to be with each other, to be with other humans, to enjoy all that life has to offer. Music, art, film, sport, going out at night, all of these activities are still either heavily restricted or outright banned. On what planet is complying with a 9 p.m. curfew living with COVID? Now, those who support the restrictions always say that we haven't given out enough vaccines to be able to live with COVID yet. But Victoria won't meet its uh, vaccination targets until sometime in November. Only then will people be able to go to each other's houses or take their masks off in public. So while the dream of zero COVID is dead on paper, we are still trying to contain COVID at all costs. People who've already been pushed beyond the brink are suffering under draconian restrictions on every aspect of life. As Australians see their fellow countrymen being pepper sprayed, surrounded by shuttered businesses, they despair at the legacy that zero COVID has left for their once great nation. Again, this is from James Bolt, who's a producer with Sky News Australia. Now, look, I, I know there's, there's not a lot that you and I can do at this moment, you know, about us. It's not like, hey, let's go liberate the Australians. I'd love to visit there someday, but, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think uh, a liberation um, from without is, is going to be the solution. Frankly, most of us are still trying to keep our own liberty, you know, wherever we happen to be. And, and we're doing poorly, not for lack of effort, but just simply it's hard to find enough people who, who are willing to, to stand. Nobody wants to be unpopular. Nobody wants to, to be, you know, that person who, who speaks the truth that people just don't want to acknowledge. And by that, I mean the kind of truth of, of you know, if the vaccine works so well, why is it that even very highly vaccinated countries like the UK, like Israel, are seeing incredible spikes in the spread of COVID? Now, this latest outbreak, if we can use that word, or the latest uh, you know, dramatic increase appears to be tapering off. It's kind of a cyclical thing, like we saw last year. And we'll probably see cases rise again as we come into the holiday months and the cold weather months where people are primarily kept indoors and in the company of others. All I know is the the people in authority who have thought that, you know, we have to we have to get on top of this and control this, they, they still believe their own press releases. They still believe they can control a virus. If we put the right words on paper and get enough people to obey, we can beat this thing. They can't. And I'm not saying that because, you know, we're throwing our hands in the air and admitting defeat. But let's be clear, we're, we're dealing with a virus. And viruses will do what viruses have always done. They will spread throughout a population. And when enough exposure has been accomplished to where the population has built up natural or herd immunity, at that point, you know, it becomes endemic. You just learn to live with it. The, the yearly flu, remember when we used to have that? Yeah, flu season. I don't know if we're going to have it, if we're going to even call it that anymore. But um, because of the flu, you know, people, you know, some would get a flu shot. Others just take precautions. And, you know, we didn't put masks on our faces. We didn't strictly distance ourselves six feet from everybody. People took supplements and they ate right and they, they slept, you know, for the appropriate amount of time. They took better care of themselves. That's how you deal with a virus. At any rate, 
We're going to talk about something that's going to blow your mind at just the other side of our break. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a few moments. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, once again, welcome back to the show. A quick shout out to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, located in St. George, Utah at 619 South Bluff Street. These are the folks you want to talk to if you are looking to secure a home loan in the state of Utah. Whether it's a reverse mortgage, traditional loan, VA loan, maybe just refinancing your existing home loan, talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. You can call her at 435-703-4522. Heather's NMLS ID is 715-386. And Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I have something to share with you. I think this is going to blow a few people's minds, but I'm going to start with a question here. What trait do many of the greatest human beings who ever lived have in common? The answer is all of them discovered who they were by running away for a time. I know we think of it as kind of a negative thing. Run away. Why? Sounds like something a kid would do. You know, I didn't, they didn't get what they wanted for supper, and now they're going to run away. I won't eat that liver and onions. I'd rather run away from home. Paul Rosenberg has an excellent essay explaining how facing the world on our own can actually be a pivotal experience in helping us learn who we really are. This is an essay called The Strangest Secret, Why You Should Run Away. And he says one of the more instructive experiences of his life occurred when he was a teenager, barely 16 years old. He says, my dad, whom I had previously considered to be incredibly overprotective, put me on a cross-country bus and sent me alone to visit my grandmother some 2,000 miles away. He says, for two straight days, I was on my own, surrounded by people I had never met, in places I'd never been, and thrown into situations that I never could have expected. And that experience did something to me. I learned about a strange world and how to get along in it, alone, with no one to run to. Now, he says, the benefits I felt from this trip didn't have to do with traveling. This wasn't about getting from point A to point B. This was about wandering through the unknown. And he says, that was an idea that rather bothered me. Paul Rosenberg says, during my youth, there was a common idea that moving around was a bad thing. You were supposed to stay in your place unless you had a good reason to do otherwise. And people who moved around were considered suspicious and even dangerous. But he says, the benefit that I felt from wandering clashed with what I'd been taught. He says, when I returned home from this journey, I returned to the regular American distractions of sports and school and all the other shiny objects that grab at young people's minds. But he says, I never forgot that strange feeling that struck with, that stuck with me from that journey. Sometime later, he says, I came across a passage in Shakespeare's Two Gentlemen of Verona. I would rather entreat you to see the wonders of the world abroad than living dully, Sluggerized at home, wear out your youth in shapeless idleness. Now, Paul Rosenberg says that wasn't precisely what I felt on my adventure, but it was close. And it would be some years before I would travel seriously, but I decided right then and there that I would make it my life's goal to see the world. And he says that experience, which I've come to call the strangest secret, is not unlike Earl Nightingale's message of the same name. The same name, rather. Both concepts lead to a rich and fulfilling life. 
Now, he says, at some point after I finished school, my intellectual curiosity bloomed, and I started reading in earnest. And as I did, I found out that other people had discovered value in wandering, much like I had. He says, soon enough, I discovered that I had only seen half of the picture. The actual virtue I had felt was about much more than wandering. And he says, eventually, as my mind matured through study and experience, I began to understand what this strange virtue really was. And then, to my deep surprise, I began to, d- to find that this odd virtue, commonly considered to be an undesirable trait in my youth, was present in the lives of the greatest men and women of all time. He says, the first people I found it in were the great spiritual leaders, Abraham, <clears throat> Moses, Buddha, Jesus, the apostles, and Confucius. He says, I found it fascinating that all of them partook of the same ritual. Later, I found more religious leaders that had done the same, Martin Luther, Jan Hus, Thomas Aquinas, and others. Over time, I learned that the world's great philosophers and poets had also been initiated into this strange rite. People like Diogenes, Pythagoras, Sappho, Cicero, and the great John Locke. The men that shaped Western civilization also shared in it. Peter Abelard, the founder of modern learning. John of Salisbury, who defined the rule of law. Stephen Langton, the author of the Magna Carta. Christopher Columbus, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Paine, and others. In fact, he says, if you keep looking, you will even find that many of the world's greatest authors, musicians, and inventors make the same list. Victor Hugo, Daniel Defoe, Frederick Chopin, Leo Tolstoy, John Dos Passos, also George Orwell, Albert Einstein, and Nikola Tesla. Exactly what is this transforming, empowering, and strange secret? It's this. It's the virtue of running away. Now, Paul Rosenberg says, look, if you were raised at all like I was, the idea that running away is a virtue will trouble you. And he says, I'm sorry about that, but when you find the one thing that the greatest men and women of history have in common, you might want to examine it, regardless of how it makes you feel. None of us lives entirely by ourselves, nor should we. But living with others inevitably leads to a web of expectations imposed upon us, a web that quickly engulfs every aspect of our lives. Now, these people aren't necessarily doing anything wrong. This is simply what happens among groups of people. They learn to expect things of you, and you learn to expect things of them. But this web of expectations also locks us in place. And because of it, we too easily come to see ourselves as playing a certain type of role in life. And this is what the great men and women broke out of. Do you remember how many times Jesus criticized people for being hypocrites? What he really called these people was actors, as in playing a role on stage. Separation frees us from the roles we've grown accustomed to. By running away, you are stripping off the accumulations of your lifetime and you find yourself underneath. Now, he clarifies here, I'm not telling you to abandon your family, of course. Obligations to spouses and children are not things to be tossed aside. But he says, I am telling you that at some point in your personal development, breaking away from your web of expectations is critical. If Moses and Buddha and Abelard and Sappho and Franklin couldn't release their talents without it, you probably won't either. Besides, once you get over the terror of it, you'll be forever glad you did. You will reclaim the real you from the expectations, even demands, of the people who've surrounded you. And in time, even those people will probably be glad you ran away. Now, they'll more than likely freak out at first, but if you come back a better person, 
they may get to like him or her better than the old fits our expectations you. He says, I have a friend I'll call Pete who desperately wanted to expand his life but just wasn't getting any traction. After multiple frustrations, he decided to move himself and his young family for an indefinite time from the American Midwest to a small town in the southern U.S., somewhere entirely different and a thousand miles distance. Distant, rather. He contacted an acquaintance at the destination and asked for some help finding arrangements. He and his wife took a brief scouting trip, and they just moved, without even a clear job offer. Now, Paul Rosenberg says, Years later, my friend recounted, It was a frightening adventure, but that without it, he would never have clarified his understanding of himself. Too much of what he had been doing and thinking was intertwined with the desires and opinions of others. He needed to be someplace where, in the words of an old bluesman, he was nothing to nobody. And within a few years, the man's life had indeed changed, and very much to the better. Somehow, sometime, you need to face the world as nothing to nobody and reassess who you are. Now, maybe the idea of running away still troubles you, and he says, if so, that will be your issue to work through. I can't do it for you, and I wouldn't try. All I'm telling you is that there is something very important here, something of pivotal importance to the best men and women of history. What you do with it is your choice. Now, if that makes you feel a little bit uneasy to consider Paul Rosenberg's advice to to run away, or at least to, to go out into the world where nobody knows who you are, where you're nothing to nobody, and to figure out who you really are and what you really stand for, If it makes you uneasy, that's actually a good sign. Because it probably means that you need to get to the root of who you are. I have a little bit simpler method. If you you feel like I just can't, you know, go out there and wander in the wilderness like some did. um, You know, a good starting point to get you in the mindset where you're you're able to strip away those layers of expectations and, and, and really understand who you are. It just involves find a quiet afternoon where you can get away from everything electronic, away from people, away from noise. Some place in nature would be good. Take a pencil, take something to write on, and sit down and just discover what you stand for, who you are. Start by listing the blessings in your life. What is right with your existence? What do you know about yourself? It's It's tough to get started, but once you get started, you'll be surprised how the thoughts flow. You'll be surprised what you learn about yourself, and you may just have a little bit of inspiration about the areas and the directions that you ought to be heading. Give it a try. Give me some feedback. Let me know how it works. Oh, let me know if we need to send out the search party, too. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Trusted voice of truth and light. God gave me a gift. I shovel well. I shovel very well. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. We've got a blind date with destiny. And it looks like she's ordered the lobster. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hi there, and welcome to the show. This is a place where wrong thinkers gather to get their heads right. Not because I'm the fount of all knowledge, I'm certainly not, but just because uh, there's a lot of information out there that escapes our view because uh, we're, we're being bombarded 
on a daily basis. There's a blizzard of information coming at us. How do you know what to believe? How do you know what to take seriously? I'm not going to tell you that everything I've got is the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but I, uh, I do go out of my way to find sources of information that can give us some insight, especially free of that, that partisan red state versus blue state thinking and the shouted bumper sticker slogans that unfortunately pull so many people in to where they just they can't think outside of uh, everything's politicized. So I welcome you to the show. Thanks for being a part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. Our program is brought to you by great sponsors like the uh, Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage in St. George, Utah. Also, MonticelloCollege.org and uh, my sponsor, LifesavingFood.com, who has generously offered a 20% discount to my listeners. When you go to their website, LifesavingFood.com, and... When you place an order for their ReadyWise food products, whether it's the long-term food storage or the food starter kits or the emergency kits, the survival kits and so forth, you know, with hunting season coming up, there's some some great buys you might want to take advantage of. But make sure you take advantage of that 20% discount. I'm not kidding when I tell you this is a, this is a better deal than you would get if you went to ReadyWise themselves. That's the brand of food storage that uh, LifesavingFood.com sells. So check out the website, get yourself prepared. What you're investing in is peace of mind, but be sure to use the coupon code HYDE, H-Y-D-E, at checkout to save yourself 20%. So where to begin? Okay, let's start with a question. Has there ever been a time when the people burning books were on the right side of history? The only reason I ask this is because, um, you know, the the censorship of any dissenting viewpoint on COVID or the COVID vaccine, it's it's really being aggressively ramped up by YouTube. I just saw the story come out yesterday. Um, this is I'm I'm sharing an article here from uh, this is RT News. YouTube will ban all harmful vaccine content from its platform, including claims that vaccines are ineffective at reducing disease transmission. The ban comes after a year of escalating censorship by the Google-owned company. YouTube, in a blog post on Wednesday, said, We've steadily seen false claims about the coronavirus vaccines spill over into misinformation about vaccines in general. And we're now at a point where it's more important than ever to expand the work we started with COVID-19 to other vaccines. Huh. Now, the new rules prohibit content alleging that vaccines cause chronic side effects, that they do not reduce transmission or contraction of disease, and that they contain unlisted ingredients like fetal cells. Those rules apply to all currently approved and administered vaccines, not just COVID-19 shots. Now, the article says at first glance, the rules are open to interpretation. YouTube's moderators will have to decide, for instance, whether content discussing side effects strays beyond the rare side effects that are recognized by health authorities. Likewise, multiple studies and real-world data have suggested COVID-19 vaccines are less effective at preventing transmission and infection than previously thought. And some suggest that this efficacy wanes with time. And while YouTube explicitly bans claims that vaccines contain fetal tissue or fetal cell lines, shots for various diseases, including hepatitis A, rubella, and chickenpox, are actually manufactured using cell lines started in aborted fetal tissue but individual doses do not contain any of this tissue. 
So content violating these new rules will receive a series of strikes from YouTube with three strikes resulting in termination of the offending channel. The new policy adds to YouTube's existing COVID-19 medical misinformation policy, which sets out a wide range of forbidden topics regarding the, the coronavirus. And these include things like encouraging home remedies, content claiming masks do not play a role in preventing the contraction or transmission of COVID-19, and content that recommends use of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine for the prevention of COVID-19. Interesting. The, later two to- the latter two topics are controversial, as there is no scientific consensus that masks prevent transmission of the virus, and ivermectin has shown some promise in studies as a treatment for COVID-19. Nevertheless, YouTube stated on Wednesday, over 130,000 videos have been removed since last year for violating this policy. Earlier this week, RT's German language channels were permanently deleted by YouTube, and the company took down the channels after handing out a strike to RTDE, that's the German channel, for over alleged medical misinformation in four videos. Now, among these cases of supposed misinformation was an interview with German epidemiologist Friedrich Perner, who was critical of his government's methods of battling the pandemic. He, however, was in favor of vaccination and never doubted the COVID-19 pandemic. But starting September 21st, RTDE was no longer allowed to upload any videos or conduct live streams on its YouTube channel. In fact, its content, albeit not the flagged videos, was shared through another channel, the DFP, which is also owned by RT in Germany. This YouTube claimed was a violation of the strike issued to RTDE, and the Google-owned platform took down both channels. Now, if you want to really feel a sense of cognitive dissonance, check this out. Russian President Vladimir Putin's press secretary, Dmitry Peskov, told journalists on Wednesday that the banning amounted to a case of censorship and of obstructing the dissemination of information by the media and would be investigated by Russian media regulators, adding there must be zero tolerance for such violations of the law. Yes, we have reached the point where Vladimir Putin's regime is actually more serious about protecting the free flow of information than their counterparts in the freest and bravest country in the world, America. I'm sorry, but it's really ironic. For, for as much hate as the Russians get, um, they still appear to be more tethered to reality than, than our own government. I don't know quite what to make of this. Here's the crazy thing, though. How can you know without examining some of the different points of view? How can you really contrast? If, if all we're supposed to do is sit back like a bunch of little baby birds and open our mouths and sit there and squawk for someone to regurgitate whatever it is that, uh, that we're supposed to subsist on knowledge-wise... How do you ever learn anything? It just seems like, as Shakespeare would say, me thinks he doth protest too much. You know, when, when YouTube, as well as, you know, the Centers for Disease Control, when the, the whole authoritarian machinery seems to center around the idea of you can't consider these other ideas, you can't consider these other alternatives. It's dangerous. It's misinformation. You have to trust us to tell you what is right and what is wrong. I mean, if that doesn't set off alarm bells, I don't know what to tell you. How could that be a good thing? This is a kind of decision you've got to make on your own. 
and and it's funny, you know, people people like me who who have chosen to abstain from the vaccine at this point, you know, I I don't feel like I need to justify myself to anybody. After all, it's my body. It's my choice. Wow. Never sounded so, you know, pro-choice in my life here, right? But I want people to understand it's not just about, well, I I have fears of the vaccine. I'm afraid. I'm refusing. I'm denying the vaccine. I'm an anti-vaxxer. See, you quickly are transformed into a one-dimensional caricature. My opposition to the vaccine at this point is the forced nature, how quickly they went from, hey, we'll give you a free Krispy Kreme donut to we'll fire you from your job if you don't do this. Look, I'm not a, I'm not a smart guy. Or I'm as, I'm as smart as I am good looking. That should put it in perspective. <laughs> but I recognize coercion when I see it being applied. And coercion to me is... Uh, far less desirable a thing than even the possibility of catching COVID. It's like it's in my DNA to stand up against it, to push back against it, and encourage others who understand these things to likewise stand their ground. The amount of pressure that's being brought to bear in virtually every area of our lives is uh, it's astounding on the one hand, and it's a little bit frightening on the other. Look, you don't have to be just an ideologue with one central idea that uh, that rules everything that you think of and see in your life. But if you're going to have one basic principle upon which to, uh, you know, judge your actions and to, to motivate you to move in a particular direction, I would say freedom is probably a pretty good motivator. Just a little something to think about. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. All right. I think we clearly understand many of the problems that we are facing. So let's talk some solutions. It seems like a lot of the first world nations are currently combining the very worst elements of stories like 1984 and Brave New World with just a dash of Fahrenheit 451 thrown in for fun. So how do you cope with, or better still, how do you opt out of the rising insanity? That's a question that was posed to Doug Casey recently, and I think you'll find his suggestions. He has three ways you can opt out of the rising insanity These are well worth considering. This is an interview that International Man did with Doug Casey recently. And it starts with the question, on behalf of the interviewer from International Man, saying, ever since the outbreak of the COVID hysteria, government control over everyday life has reached unprecedented levels. Petty bureaucrats now exercise control over who can open their businesses, whether you can go to a restaurant, and even whether children can go to school. Where is this all going? Well, Doug Casey says there are basically two kinds of people in this world. People that like to manipulate the physical universe and create things, and people who like to manipulate other people and control them. The people who go into government, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, are the latter. They're dangerous. 
The problem is the average citizen in every country around the world has come to think that the government is the most important entity in society. But Doug Casey says it's not. It's a coercive fiction, a parasite that produces nothing. The wrong kinds of people are being given even more control. And once people with a certain psychological mindset, that second type of person I just mentioned, take control, well, things get inevitably worse. In Washington, D.C., as well as in many state and local governments, we now have genuine Bolsheviks and Jacobins in control. That's not to say they're necessarily believers in those philosophies, but they're exactly the same psychological types. In other words, they're exactly the kind of people who once destroyed France and Russia reincarnated in today's America. And once these types get control of the machinery of the state, they won't give it up. Power, the ability to coerce and control others, is central to their very beings. They'll try to cement themselves in place now that they feel they can get away with it. And they'll use their power aggressively, installing counterproductive and destructive policies, and the worse things get, the more the public will look to the government to save them. It's a self-reinforcing feedback loop. Now, the chances of getting a genuine lunatic as the president are very high. And so Doug Casey says, I'm pessimistic because trends in motion tend to stay in motion, and this trend is accelerating rapidly. Now, International Man at this point asks, well, as a result of this trend, more parents than ever have opted for homeschooling. What's your take on that? And Doug Casey says it's a, it's a cause for optimism, First of all, education is something that you provide for yourself. It's not something that somebody, certainly not the state, gives you. He says the value and original purpose of public schooling was basically to teach the three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic. With those essentials and the ability to use a library or the Internet, which places all the world's knowledge at your fingertips, you don't need anything else beyond that. The basics can be picked up in the first six or seven years of grade school for anybody, even slow learners. Beyond that, school just bores most kids and is actually counterproductive. It not only wastes their time and money, but actually makes them dislike learning. Homeschooling allows them to make the world their oyster, while teaching individual responsibility. Secondly, He says most schooling today, certainly once you get into high school, and absolutely once you get into college, is little more than indoctrination. Schools are places where your kids pick up bad ideas from the educators and bad habits from the other young yahoos they're surrounded by. He also points out that schools do not teach critical thinking, if indeed they ever did, at least since Plato's Academy and Aristotle's Lyceum. Critical thinking is the habit of questioning all assertions and examining everything that we think we know in the light of knowledge, logic, the scientific method, and your own research. That doesn't exist anymore in schools. In fact, the government and the establishment don't want schools to turn out critical thinkers and free thinkers. To the contrary, they want obedient, indoctrinated serfs who will do as they're told and act as cogs in the wheel. And so Doug Casey says, I think it's irresponsible on the part of parents not to properly educate their kids. And that doesn't just mean sending them off eight hours a day where they sit behind a desk and listen to government employees lecture them. It costs an average of $12,000, about $12,000 per pupil per year. We're talking a nine-month year with long vacations to babysit and corrupt kids. That's an outrageous amount. 
College, often over $50,000, can only be described as a scam. Certainly, nobody, he says, has, nobody has more of an interest in making education available to kids than their parents do. Their parents do. Definitely not members of the teachers' union. If the public schools vanished, it would be a good thing. That $12,000 per pupil could stay in society so that people that wanted to educate their kids property, properly rather wouldn't have to pay the toll twice. A couple of families could easily get together and hire full-time, first-rate tutors to teach their kids one-on-one as opposed to sending them off to a government factory to be indoctrinated. He says the school system has become very corrupt from what it once was. Schools and universities are grossly overweight with grossly overpaid administrators. 90% of these phony educators should be fired. And furthermore, most teachers now are overtly Marxist and the rest are dim but sympathetic to Marxist ideas. Schoolhouses at all levels should be intellectually cleaned, then fumigated if they can't be abolished. Doug Casey says, I'm glad many people are dissatisfied with schools and some are doing something about it. It's one of the few good things to come out of the COVID hysteria. Next, he's asked, what other ways can people opt out and regain more control over their lives? And this is where it gets interesting. Doug Casey has a very fascinating slant on this. He says, the ideal solution is to become a PT, a permanent traveler or prior taxpayer. But that's not easy for most people. He says, as I've mentioned before, even if you don't want to internationalize, the next best thing is to quit your job and become self-employed. But beyond that, in order to have control of your life, you need capital, which gives you flexibility and room to run. So how do you get that capital? He says, if you're not in a position to quit your job and become self-employed, then he says, take a second job, part-time. The advantage of that is your income will go up and your expenses in the way of consuming will go down. But it's important you put that money aside. The key is to cut your spending to the bone and save. That means don't buy the new car, don't trade up to the larger house, don't go out and get a new wardrobe. Build capital while the economy and the currency are still held together. Capital will allow you to take advantage of opportunities in the future as opposed to getting deeper in debt like a surf. Okay, I'm going to tap the brakes here because we're coming up on our break in a few moments. This is something that we don't talk about, but it's a very obvious solution once you consider it. If you are in debt, you are enslaved to a degree. And getting out of debt as quickly as possible will do more to put you on your own terms to deal with the world than almost anything. And I understand how hard it is to say, you know, for some people to think, well, I'll just quit my job and become self-employed. Hey, I struggled with it for most of my adult life. I always wanted to keep one foot in that canoe that, you know, had the steady paycheck and, you know, the security of knowing that that, uh, payment was going to come twice a month. Well, it's scary. And there's risk involved. But it's the best decision I ever made. And it's a decision that uh, that was made just within the last year or so. So I'm kind of a noob at it, but I just want to I want to testify, brothers and sisters. Find something that you can do to create value. Use it to create value. Build a little cottage industry if you have to. 
but start being more entrepreneurial and less employee-like. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Want to mention one of my sponsors, that's the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage. They're located at 619 South Bluff Street in St. George. You can call 703-4522. That's, of course, area code 435. You want to talk to the Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage if you are hearing my voice anywhere within the state of Utah and you are in the market for a home loan. I know a ton of people are moving into the Intermountain West right now, and it means the real estate market is uh, pretty hot, to put it mildly. When you find the home of your dreams, your financing has to be squared away. You have to have it in order. You can't say, okay, I like that home. Let me go get started on some paperwork and see what we can do. You don't have that luxury. That home will be snapped up and gone before you turn around. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage comes to you with decades of experience. They know exactly what the lenders need. They know what the borrower needs. And they have the stability and the clout to help you get the loan you need. Count on their experience. The Heather Turner team at Patriot Home Mortgage, NMLS ID 715386, and Patriot Home Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity lender. So I've been sharing this article from uh, Doug Casey. This was published on lewrockwell.com about uh, three ways you can opt out of the rising insanity. I know a lot of people who, at least people who are thinking and recognize the situation for what it is, are like, how can, how can I position myself to avoid going down with the ship because it sure feels like, you know, the we've taken on water and we're listing hard to starboard. Well, one of the things he suggests is to become a permanent traveler or a prior taxpayer, PT. I love the prior taxpayer part. That's, that's great. But if you want to do that, you've got to have capital. Capital gives you the flexibility and room to run. He suggests if you are not self-employed at this point, he says, then take a second job part-time and Take the money that you earn and put it aside. Really cut your spending to the bone and start saving. His point is you need to build that capital while the economy and the currency are still held together. And that's something that uh, you you can't take as a given. It's always going to be this way. Sound as the dollar. Well, (laughs) the dollar's on pretty shaky ground. In fact, he was asked by international man... All the, government around, all the governments around the world are inflating away their currencies and taxing their citizens at ever-increasing levels. How can the average person opt out or at least limit the government's theft of their savings? And Doug Casey says, well, you want to save, but if you're saving in fiat currency, that puts you on a treadmill. If you leave your money in U.S. dollars or other currencies, you're going to lose everything or almost everything. So this means you really have to learn to invest and speculate. Now, unfortunately, investing in the kind of chaotic government-controlled economy we're moving into is hard, and it's becoming harder. On the bright side, the distortions that the government is creating offer lots of avenues for speculation. Now, he's been kind of an expert and discussed a lot of the differences between saving, investing, speculating, and gambling in the past. There's a nice link in the article to to specifically this topic. But he says, unless you study economics in the markets, if you try to speculate, you'll probably wind up gambling, which is very different. 
So he says the key is to educate yourself on the ins and outs of the markets, including cryptocurrency and commodity markets, not just the stock, bond, and real estate markets. For instance, right now, commodity markets are particularly interesting. He says, for, for example, I'm of the opinion that natural gas, which is traded on the futures market, is currently around uh, $5 per MCF. But he says, I believe it could go much higher. He says, I've personally sold naked puts to capture the premiums, and I bought long-term bull call spreads. Now, if you're not familiar with these things, then he says, don't take my advice. But he says, try to become familiar with these things. He says, one of the reasons I'm bullish on commodities is that with the Bolsheviks in office in Washington, D.C., and actual communists in control of a lot of countries around the world, commodity production is all kinds of, of all kinds is being made harder. And at the same time, all the money they're printing is creating artificial demand, and all the regulations they're passing are artificially restricting supply. So commodities are about the only cheap things left. And their prices are going a lot higher. Now, you can capitalize on this as a speculator if you know what you're doing. But he says, be careful because you can easily wipe yourself out. Any savings that you have, he says, should be in small gold and silver coins, not in fiat currencies. And he says, I don't see gold as a good speculation at $1,800. It is, however, ideal for saving. In addition to providing long-term upside, gold and silver coins are far more private than keeping U.S. dollars in a bank account, which the government can monitor. And which we saw earlier this week, the government intends to start monitoring at an even higher rate. Lastly, he says, if you're going to keep your house and stay in the same place, you might want to save by buying up things like cigarettes, whiskey, instant coffee, ammunition, and the like. If times get tough, all of those things are going to be hard to come by. They will be in high demand, and they're an alternative to fiat. Now, International Man asks him, well, today, what we buy, who we interact with, and what we say are more easily tracked. Everyone's private information is under assault by a private-public partnership of governments and big corporations. And they ask Doug Casey, where is all this going? What do you suggest people do about it? Doug Casey's advice is, as much as possible, keep a low electronic profile. Now, this is going to sting because some people really love their social media, myself included. You know, I, I, I shouldn't say I love it, but I, I enjoy getting on there and catching up with friends. But he says, get off Facebook and other social media platforms. Doug Casey says, I have a Facebook account, but I never use it or access it in any way for anything personal. It's strictly a business tool. Same for LinkedIn and the rest of them. He says, everybody should realize that social media is the primary way that they track you. Learn what you think and discover who you are. And it's just not good for that information to be in the hands of the bad guys. Of course, everyone has a cell phone today. They're tracking devices. Entirely apart from that, The things are a nuisance, and most people are addicted to them. He says, I have one, but I never use it except when I'm traveling or at a conference. Now, Doug Casey also says, I understand the value of apps for navigating and such. It might be good, however, to have two cell phones. The one you use for talking should be a flip phone. The other one can be used selectively for whatever apps you need. And he says, on a personal level, speak up about these things whenever possible. Even though it's pretty hard to turn back the tidal wave of statism and collectivism that's washing over society, 
everyone should do what they can. In fact, he says you might want to start by going to liveandletlive.org, run by his friend Mark Victor, for practical thoughts on what you can do. But the bottom line is, he says, I'm afraid the U.S. and most advanced countries in the world are well on their way to combining the worst traits of George Orwell's 1984 with those of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. That would be a tough one, wouldn't it? I know I'm I'm pleading the special exception here. Well, you know, I agree with what Doug Casey's saying here, but social media is integral to what I'm trying to do to get uh, the message out to people. And I do use it as a, as a useful tool, but only so far as it serves my purposes. But I, I see his point. The information is being tracked. And, and I'm, I'm torn on this because on the one hand, it's like, well, I'm not ashamed, though, of, of what I stand for. Even though I realize for some people, this is, that's just plain out sedition. What you're saying, you know, suggesting that some laws are unjust and they ought not be obeyed. Oh, Brian, how could you? Well, I'm willing to I'm willing to suffer the slings and arrows of being labeled, you know, if somebody doesn't like what what I say. I'm okay with doing stuff out in the open. But I still think his advice is pretty good. Now, again, what I'm doing, I you know, I do very publicly. This this is a good example of it. You know, you don't have to guess where I stand on a particular issue. But I totally understand the people who think, yeah, I want to keep that low electronic profile. And frankly, I admire the ones who've just said, you know what, I nuked my Facebook account. I use my phone, you know, at my convenience. It's there for my convenience, not everybody else's. Somewhere there's a balance that has to be found. You will know best what that balance is in your life. But definitely there are some things that need to be evaluated because as he as he points out here, Bolsheviks and Jacobins, if you're not familiar with the what the Bolsheviks were all about or what the Jacobins did during the French Revolution, it might be time to dust off a history book or at least become a little bit better acquainted with what drove these people and what did they actually accomplish. Here's a hint. It involved buckets and buckets of blood, an ocean of blood, because neither the Bolsheviks nor the Jacobins could brook the tiniest bit of dissent. They literally felt like they had to kill anybody who opposed them. And while we don't necessarily have those particular ideologies being implemented, the psychological motivations are the same in the people who are in charge today. So don't underestimate them. All right, you ready for a laugh? Good, because we've got some laughs coming up courtesy of J.P. Sears just the other side of these commercial messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Once again, I'm going to pimp my show notes to anybody who's interested. I already know for at least a couple of talk show hosts out there, they serve as a a nice uh, reference point. Let's see what Brian's talking about today. It's always a weird mix of stuff, but, uh, you know, feel free to use them at uh, at your convenience. Use them to build and bolster your understanding of the world around you. Um, I can't guarantee that everything that uh, you find in there is the absolute truth as if it were sent down in the hands of Moses himself on stone tablets. Nope. 
But uh, I do try very hard to find information that is based on principle and not just partisan, news cycle-driven discussion. Because it seems like that never is as, as productive as it could be. But we also find a little bit of time to, uh, to find some humor. And, and I, have, I don't know of anybody out there who is making it easier to get through tough times than a J.P. Sears. He's the long-haired, red-headed dude on YouTube, and his latest video on 12 Reasons Not to Speak Up is really something to behold. I think I'll let him tell it in his own words. Have you noticed all the tyranny happening in the world right now? Authoritarian regimes demanding obedience so they can take over, trying to create two classes of citizens with their passports and mandates, violating all your constitutional rights. And maybe you've been pretending like nothing's happening because you're afraid to speak out. Well, I just want you to know that's great. It would be wrong to speak out at a time like this. Here's why. For starters, speaking out means you could lose some people's approval, and that would be really scary for you. That's why you shouldn't do it, because of your fear. Therefore, not speaking out means you'll gain the approval of people who approve of living in fear. Speaking out requires bravery, and nobody respects people who are brave. They only respect those who are agreeable all the time. And if you can stay in line with the agreeability of tyrants, then you know you're doing good work in the world because you're aligned with tyrants. I get it. You don't want to speak out because you're afraid you might lose some things like a job, friends, your status quo. And if you look at tyrannical regimes and how they work, you'll see that by not speaking out in order to protect yourself from losing those things, then eventually... You'll lose everything. But who cares? At least you'll still be agreeable. When evil and abuse are happening to people, the heroes of society see it and do nothing. You're a hero who doesn't want to help people to protect your own (laughs) self-interest. Keep it up. In Vegas, the Clark County Commission voted on and passed a resolution banning free speech. And the White House is telling Facebook what to censor. This is objectively the government taking away your First Amendment right to free speech. And you not speaking out about it now while you have the chance helps create a better world where you can't speak out about it, even if you wanted to. It's all for your protection, right? So, of course, you wouldn't want to speak out against such helpful protection. In Australia, government soldiers are shooting people with rubber bullets for peacefully protesting against their mandates. And they're forcefully locking people in their homes. Here, they've thrown a 74-year-old woman to the ground and are dousing her in pepper spray. (laughs) Can we all just please agree this is still for our protection? Because if we can agree on that, then we won't have to be inconvenienced by standing up for our rights. The authorities are violating everyone's constitutional rights by, amongst other things, closing businesses, closing churches, and forcing children to cover their faces. And you should continue not speaking up about it. Because they don't want you to. It's like the abusers will be implementing a social credit system. And by watching it all happen while you're doing and saying nothing, you're already earning yourself a good social credit score. Which keeps you in good standing with the abusers rather than being in good standing with good people. If Hollywood celebrities who will be kicked out of the industry for not following the mainstream narrative are telling you to shut up and follow the mainstream narrative... 
I think it's a good idea to shut up and follow the mainstream narrative. If someone who's sold their soul for money is telling you to do something because they were paid money to tell you to do that something, then I think it's a good idea for you to do that something. Maybe you're an influencer that doesn't want to disturb their following so you don't risk losing the comfortable life you have. You of all people should not be speaking out because unapologetically standing for what's right might put you at risk of actually earning your audience's respect. Banning people from participating in society isn't an issue you should speak up on because then they might think you're one of them. So instead, when you look at the days when blacks had less rights, women had no rights, and the Nazis were discriminating against Jews from participating in normal society, you'll want to do your best to believe that this time, it's a good idea. And it is a good idea because it's for your protection. The same way whites were protected from blacks and Germans were protected from Jews. So... It's like that. One day, they'll probably make movies about people like you who stood by doing nothing while society was divided and destroyed by authoritarians. So like Schindler's List, they made a movie about a guy who helped save the lives of people who were being discriminated against. But that's not very relatable to you. Wouldn't you rather watch a movie about the people who just shut up and turned in their neighbors? If you did speak out, it might have been cool one day to have your kids and grandkids thank you for fighting for their freedom. But instead, thanks to your willingness to not speak up for their freedom because you're too scared, your kids and grandkids might not ever know what freedom is. Ouch. Because of you. I think with all that's going on in the world right now, the right thing to do is to just shut up and let it happen. If you've been standing on the sidelines doing nothing, even though things don't quite seem right to you, just keep standing there. Because if something really needs to be done, then someone else will do it. Wow. <laughs> ah. I'm telling you, that guy is a national treasure. <laughs> J.P. Sears, who, uh, with his 12 reasons not to speak up. Um, anyway, I'll include a link to this in the show notes at thebrianheidshow.com. Okay, I'm not making light of this in the sense that, ha, 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 everything's fine, you know, tee-hee, let's just, you know, giggle it away. I'm just grateful for people who can can zero in on the attitudes and and some of the the mindset that that is is driving our our headlong plunge into madness and and totalitarianism and he does it great i i i probably should have given a disclaimer beforehand if you have a sarcasm detector you should put it outside otherwise it's going to overload and start sparking and throwing off smoke um keep that sense of humor though this is one of the things that I've really come to love is is satire and parody. I'm telling you, if it weren't for the Babylon Bee, sorry, Onion, you guys were great for years. I've, I've had many great laughs over the years. Babylon Bee absolutely owns the market when it comes to uh, pointing out uncomfortable truths but doing it in a humorous way. They're just remarkable. What was the, what was the meme that I saw that... Uh, Sorry, I've got to pull this up real quick just because this was such a such a gem from the from the Babylon Bee. Hold on one moment here. Ah yes. Study finds most parents okay with government brainwashing their children if it means free babysitting. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, that one's gonna leave a mark. And yet it's it rings true. It rings true.
So find some reason to laugh. If there's anything that uh, that the the authoritarians among us find more intolerable than your non-compliance, it's the fact that you can laugh at them. It's the fact that you can laugh at yourself or you can laugh at society. I used to wonder as a kid, you know, and I grew up in <clears throat> in the 70s and 80s, the Cold War was in full swing and you know when you'd see pictures of of you know people in the Soviet Union. There always seemed to be just this this lack of happiness. You know, people just I mean, I'm I'm sure people found happiness but you know, the pictures you'd see in National Geographic or whatever, you know, we went to Siberia to to document what what life is like for people here and there. Everybody had the most dour look on their face. Their buildings were ugly. Their clothes were ugly. The Everything around them, the factory they worked in was ugly. And there was not a smile to be seen. We can't be that kind of people. Look, times are tough. Okay, we've got some pretty hard stuff. There's there's no shame in admitting that uh, that uh, the facts are the facts, and and we are in a pretty bad place right now. However, given what we understand about things like liberty, freedom of conscience, freedom of association, private property, just the the efficacy of freedom and the resources that are available to us if we are lovers and supporters of freedom. We have every reason to be optimistic. If you want to throw a spiritual angle in here, we know good will prevail in the end, even if we have to travel some pretty rocky terrain to get there. So, keep a smile on your face, try to be of good cheer, and keep plugging away. This is The Brian Hyde Show.